You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. This is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. <laughs> Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. I'm calling you from the Amtrak's. <laughs> Never was a thing more obvious. <laughs> Did we glitch out hard there? That, no, no, no. You just sound like a person who's calling into a podcast from an Amtrak train. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm emoting that as hard as I can in my voice as well, so maybe that's coming through. <laughs> yeah. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, Alan is actually here with me in the studio. What you're hearing now is voice acting on Alan's part. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all. I'm I'm a method actor. Alan Smith, where are you right now? Um, I am uh, somewhere south of Trenton, New Jersey. Okay. I think we just went through Philadelphia. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're very glad that Alan is able to to join us here on the call. A little bit later in the show, we're going to chat with Ben Kaback, a very accomplished Yankees blogger, a very accomplished blogger about New York City transit. Uh, and we're going to talk to him about uh, our predictions for the second half. And as you're going to hear, we tried to include Alan in that conversation. Uh, but Alan decided he had better things to do, i.e. Uh, losing cell service somewhere outside Trenton. Um, <laughs> so what we're Well, gonna... you know. Yeah. I, I, I like to think of better things to do. Um, I, you know, I, I worked on my novel. Oh. oh. I, uh, I, I, I uh, learned to play the violin. Oh man! So you know, it was a productive, it was a productive, you know, journey. I don't know if you guys know this, but Alan is working on a novel entitled "The Quivering Teacups." <laughs> That's ironic on so many levels. <laughs> I like to imagine that right now on your Amtrak train, Alan Smith, you are daintily gripping a cup of Amtrak grade tea, and that it's quivering as you move across the tracks. Amtrak grade is very low grade. <laughs> it is. Yes, it is. Um, Before we get to all the excellence with Ben Kaback, however, indeed. we need to address the fact that this is episode 59. It is. Lawns, it is. Which is um, interesting hey, because... Is Metro Park. Metro Park is in New Jersey. Please watch. Well, I think you all should know that I'm entering Metro Park, New Jersey right now. <laughs> you don't have to let us know. The conductor just did. <laughs> Thank goodness. Episode 59. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you know, Sam, that 59 years ago this week, a 19-year-old Elvis Presley was signed to Sun Records? Really? I did not it know It was that. his first record contract, and he would go on to become a Billboard star, a Hollywood heartthrob, a sex icon, and the subject of more conspiracy theories, speculations, and tabloid gossip than anyone, possibly this side of Bigfoot. <laughs> in many ways, Elvis ushered in black music to a white audience effectively changed the face of rock and roll in America, and thus, you could argue, for the rest of the entire world. But it was not until three years after his first record deal, in an interview during his mercurial rise to fame and fortune, where Elvis allegedly said, well, I don't particularly like baseball. He said what? So basically, we're done with him. <laughs> yep, turns out the king was more of a fan of football and boxing. Um, and if you believe the interview that I was able to find on the subject, he's not the brightest bulb on the tree. How dare you, sir? I know, I know. 59 is also, Sam, the number on a button commonly worn by many feminist activists in the 1970s. 
59 in this case was based on the claim that a woman at that point in time earned 59 cents to an equally qualified man's dollar. Oh, oh, man. oh how far we have come. I was just going to say, 2013. thank goodness we have completely rectified that situation, right? Now the estimate is a cool 77 cents on the dollar. God damn it. And yes, I am well aware that this is not a perfect number, um, and that when you consider earnings and potential earnings lost through promotions when women choose to have children, and when you calculate in how much a woman, single woman usually gets shafted on pay scales, continuing to calculate in the idea of pink-collar jobs and the fact that women often end up in lower-paying jobs as a result of their choices in career, it still ends up being a pretty good estimate. Anyway, all of that progress, however halting and intermittent, to move from 59 cents to 77 cents was essentially set back to pre-1900 levels in the minds of many Americans earlier this week because Carly Rae Jepsen threw out a pitch at a Tampa Bay Rays game that was diagnosably the worst opening pitch of all time. (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking about, you should probably, well, first of all, you probably don't use the internet. But just in case you missed it, a quick Google of her name and first pitch should pretty much do you. And let me just say, uh, it's a doozy. I think, uh, Alan, I think it takes guts uh, to do what we're doing right now. And at this particular point in American history, claim on the air that Carly Rae Jepsen set feminism back further than Rick Perry this week. (laughs) It's true. I did did want to qualify that um by saying that um i don't actually believe that in any way shape or form okay (laughs) well but it's a pretty bad pitch (laughs) i mean i mean nobody nobody's gonna nobody's gonna sit here and tell you you're lying about that (laughs) and and it it is it is certainly the case that or when to look in Texas for too long, it begins to hurt one's eyes. It does. It does. And uh, and one's heart. And uh, I don't just mean that emotionally, because I believe Elvis Presley lived in Texas for a little while. And uh, heart health, not his... Um, no, he lived in Tennessee, didn't he? He did. Graceland, Tennessee. Oh, right. Right. You know, maybe instead of being on a train right now, it would be more fun if you were... Um, What's Paul Simon on in in the song Graceland? He's on a bus, right? Uh, yeah, I think he was. He's moving through the heartland. He's going to Graceland with his son, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, what what does he say? He he looks at the guy next to him, and all he all he sees is uh, incidents and accidents. Nope, that's not it. Different song. Different song. Hints and allegations. Hints and allegations. Ah, well, hallelujah! You can be my bodyguard at any time, Alan <laughs> Smith. <laughs> right, wrapping back around. Um, so. We uh, we did record an excellent interview with um, with with Ben Kaback, but through the miracles of modern radio, I will actually not be attending most of that interview. As I will, uh, I can predict right now because I am a savant in that sort of way that I'm going to lose touch with Sam and uh, Ben over the course of that interview. Yes, I like the idea of uh, and and our more geographically inclined listeners will note that as we teased earlier. Uh, Alan uh, crapped out on us at some point around Trenton, despite the fact that he is already in Metro Park. (laughs) (laughs) I also like the idea that uh, it is a miracle of modern radio for us to accidentally exclude you from the broadcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, no, it's a miracle of modern prognostication. Oh, oh, okay, okay, great. Um, I was, I was, I was looking forward into the future and seeing my own radio demise. Yes, yes. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to that Ben Kaback interview now, which Alan may or may not stay with us for the entirety of. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen you are listening to baltimoreans and if all has gone according to plan if i have successfully tickled the knobs in the correct fashion i should now <laughs> not only be on the line with alan smith who is currently as he sometimes is on this program on board an amtrak train alan are you there yeah i'm gonna go ahead and call amtrak hootenanny south <laughs> okay i think that's good and Ben Kaback, our very special guest for the evening, joins us. Ben is, of course, the co-founder of the very successful Yankees blog, River Avenue Blues, the editor of Second Avenue Sagas, the equally successful New York City public transit blog, and was once featured on the very front page of Politico.com for his work with the Twitter handle NYT on it. Ben Kaback, are you there as well? I am here. Thanks for having me. Oh my God! I I feel like I'm I'm sweating because I'm under a success blanket. It's basically like the first telephone call ever connected. <laughs> that is what it sounds like. This is um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. In both sound quality and historical import. Exactly. <laughs> All right, morons. Well, as we told you earlier in the program, we have invited Ben K back on the program because he is not only an expert in hilarious parody Twitter accounts. He is not only an expert in New York City public transit apocrypha, but he is first and foremost a baseball expert. And though he is an avowed Yankee enthusiast, we have agreed to overlook that for the evening. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's easy to overlook it this season, that's for sure. <laughs> Advantage Baltimoreans, the so far in the show. <laughs> Um, but we've invited Ben on because, as all of you are aware, it is uh, roughly the midpoint of the season. We just had the All-Star game, and so as we look ahead to the second half, we thought it might be fun to make some predictions about various things. Now, the categories we have asked Ben to uh, make predictions in are, first, who will win the American League and National League East, West, and Central divisions, as well as who will take home the wild card crown, the wild card crown doesn't really sound right. I feel like you, you shouldn't get a crown for the wild Especially card. Especially because the rewards for the wild card now is an incredibly stressful one game. Playoff I was, was going to say, it's, it's, sort of, lives. it's sort of like a booby prize at this point because you're forced <laughs> to sit through this extra game that's excruciating. It really was last year. I, yeah. I, I, it, it cost me a year of my life. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's, it's not a crown. It's more sort of like a... Um, it's a Wabajack, if there's any uh, Skyrim fans out there. Uh, and if you're not a Skyrim fan, we don't have enough time for me to explain to you what a Wabajack is. Um, Even if you are a Skyrim fan, there may not be enough time. <laughs> it's true. 
Uh, so we're going to get predictions on that. We're also going to predict who's going to win the Most Valuable Player Award in the American League and National League, who is going to win the Cy Young Award, who's going to win the Rookie of the Year, who's going to win Manager of the Year, and then in less uh, sort of obvious Jesus Christ guys have an original idea in your damn heads. Um, <laughs> we're also going to talk about what we think the best move of the recent, the most recent offseason was and what the worst move was. The most interesting storyline that never was, and we'll say more about that when we get to that part of the show. And then we've also asked Ben to tell us uh, who will appear in a Major League Baseball game first, Alex Rodriguez or Dylan Bundy. <laughs> grim a grim category it's very grim there is no fun answer to that question nope <laughs> all right so let's so start off kick off with the uh the the division winners let's start off with the divisions mr Kback, uh who do you like in the american league i think i gotta go probably with the teams that are all in first place right now, which is fairly uncreative of me, but <laughs> the, okay. the Red Sox are a surprise stellar team, and they don't show any signs of slowing down. Yep. Although their pitching's a bit thin. If 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 actually if John Lackey gets hurt, they're in trouble, which you wouldn't have expected anybody to be saying six months ago. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no. I, I still can't believe you said it. <laughs> yeah. Right. The Tigers are. You know, I know the Indians have been playing a little bit better of late, but I think the Tigers are just such a deeper team, and. The A's really have the pitching that can carry them. Um, you know, I know they're only two. They're only two above the Rangers, and the Rangers can turn it on. But but I think the A's will probably eke out the West this year. Yep, yep. I uh, I my own my own personal positions line up with you as far as the Central and the West go. I agree with you that I think uh, the A's pitching is just too good, and the Rangers have shown such an unbelievable predilection for collapse the last couple yep. of years. Um, that it, and it doesn't really seem like anything has happened that's going to change that. My one quibble with you is I have decided that the Rays are going to win the American League East. Interesting. And mm. I, I say that because um, I think the Red Sox, uh, though they are firing on all cylinders right now, there are a number of things that could go wrong pretty easily. As you say, Lackey could get hurt. He's very, very good at that. Um, Ellsbury could get hurt. He is also stupendously talented in that regard. Um, and right now they're getting such absurd production of, from people like Mike Carp and Daniel Nava, uh, that, and, and Ortiz, uh, could get hurt as well, that it seems to me like barring some kind of big ticket acquisition, there are enough, uh, there are enough problems that could crop up for them that I I don't think another swoon is out of the question and the Rays just seem like they they still have all of the secret Madden magic that always does them so well but they also now have uh, like Will Myers and Chris Archer um, and Matt Moore really really coming in to their own and that frankly terrifies me yeah, and, and they're getting Price back, who, who's been pitching excellently over his last couple of starts since he came off the DL. Yeah, yeah, they were able to hang tough in the division with Price on the disabled list. And it doesn't seem super likely. I mean, even if Price comes back and for whatever reason isn't up to his normal levels, uh, I'll, I'll take I'll take David I'll take uh, whatever you know two thirds of a David Price any day. Sure. Smith? Now, that's interesting. I, I was going to make the same argument for potential disaster for the, uh, the Tigers because it seems to me that they are, um, 
you know, they, they have had an incredible run of people not being hurt. Their big name guys not being hurt for a couple of years now. And that is true. I, I don't know that, that Prince Fielder, I mean, I guess Prince Fielder is that durable, but I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that he could kind of hold up. I think that the Indians team is pretty good. Um, I think they got a bunch of young guys. I'm not sure they have the pitching to compete against Verlander and Scherzer, but I, I'm, I'm, I decided that I was going to be a little bit weird on my pick, so I went with the Indians um, to, to scratch out a close one over the Tigers. All right. Um, and because someone had to represent blatant homerism, I'm picking the Orioles to win the American <laughs> League East. So, so you think Smith, uh, and I mean, uh, Ben, I'd really be interested to, uh, to hear what you think about that. Um, Smith, do you think that, that our team actually is built to, to outlast the Rays and the Red Sox down the stretch? Well, I, I think that we have the same problem that we had last year in the playoffs, which is that once you get into the playoffs, you need one or two starters who you're sure can win games. And I don't, I don't think that we have that. I think that over 162 games, I think we have a we have a powerful and impressive offense that, even though it's being carried by Chris Davis right now, has like up top to bottom strength. And I think that the offense is is pretty pretty impressive. Um, it's not going to help that we have to go against that that murderer's row over there in Tampa Bay multiple times the rest of the season. But I I, I do think that we have a good enough offense to carry us for stretches of the season and then when we get the playoffs we're going to lose in the first round again senor k back how does that strike you you know i i i have the rays missing the playoffs i think and the orioles moving ahead of them although i would be hard pressed to say why because tampa seems to have a much better pitching mm-hmm. than baltimore this year but it, it it wouldn't surprise me if the orioles find a way to close this small two-game gap separating the two teams and, and outlast tampa bay just because that's what they seem to do. They've been playing very well. I mean, they've been playing somewhat above expectations for a couple of years now. And teams like that find a way to make it into October. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. I would agree. And then I, I also think there is, um, and, and this is where my blatant homerism is going to come in, um, I think there is an offensive dog that hasn't barked uh, for the Orioles, which is Matt Wieters. Um, he has, <laughs> ba- and to say he's not barked is inaccurate. He has been asleep within his doghouse, uh, comfortably dreaming of uh, shiny um, deer bones. That's the worst <laughs> metaphor that I think I've ever done. Um, but uh, I think... Uh, Hope speaks eternal. <laughs> both for the metaphor and for Matt Wieters. Um <laughs> But uh, I, no, no, I'm not of hope for the metaphor. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um, but I think uh, I think when you look at how how impressive the Orioles' offense has been this year, um, if you were to add Matt Wieters to that cocktail, um, that that could get pretty scary in a hurry. And that is an offense that I think I, I would take that over the Red Sox offense, and I would take. Um, if one thing goes wrong for the Red Sox at that point, then I think that gives us the nose to to get over the finish line. Um, I, I think, you know, while I'm not saying Matt Wieters is going to go on an absolute uh, Chris Davis-style bonanza, I do think it, he is manifestly not as bad a hitter as he has been so far this season. Um, so I actually so have... Are we, are we all comfortable now signing the death, the death warrant for the Toronto Blue Jays? Very comfortable. Are you comfortable, Mr. Kback? I am very comfortable, and and I am gleefully comfortable. <laughs> it was they they were anointed World Series champions heading into the season, and they're eleven and a half games out, and 
struggling to even stay within a few games of 500. So I, I, I think they're finished. Yeah. I think, I think they could even be sellers of the trade deadline. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the way to, the way that I've looked at it is that the three guys they got from the Marlins, I mean, the Marlins weren't very good last year in the A in the NL, which is weaker. Why would they be better in the AL, which is much stronger? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, for years, I, I, one of my favorite off season pastimes is reading the baseball prospectus entry on Mark Burley because <laughs> it, the, the contents of it are generally, here's a guy who is just not a good pitcher. Um, and yet somehow he always manages to go 13 and 10 with a 3.8 earned run average. Rather than attempt to explain it, we've decided to just sit back and enjoy watching him do it. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. So, uh, so I infer then, Mr. Kback, from your statements that you you probably have the O's in the wild card slot. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think the I think the O's in Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a retread of last card. year. Smith, who are your who are your wild card teams? I feel good about I I, I feel good about the uh, the Texas as, as one, and then I, I had the uh, the Red Sox as the other one. Okay. Okay. Now the next stop coming up is going to be Trenton. Trenton. Ladies and gentlemen, Allen is almost to Trenton. <laughs> Trenton. <laughs> okay, let's jump over to the National League. Uh, and Trenton has Tr- swallowed. Trenton takes, I guess, this time. <laughs> Trenton takes this time. Oh, my God. Uh, so let's let's do the National League then really quickly. Who, sure. Who do you have for the division champions in the National League? I'm going to go with the Braves. Uh, they're so far out ahead, and they're just playing such better ball than the Nationals. Yep. For the East, I'm going to go with the Pirates just because I want to see them win really badly. One mm-hmm. of uh, Somebody who went to my high school is, is manning third base for the Pirates, and it would just be a great story if they could overcome decades of futility to win the Central. Yeah. And, you know, I pick one from the, from the West. I don't <laughs> know. No team really seems to want to claim it. <laughs> the Diamondbacks are probably the better team, but the Dodgers, if they could pull it together, could 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 make a strong finish at the end. And the Rockies have a few pieces. They just have to decide if they want to be sellers or buyers at the deadline and if they think they can overcome what's about a five-game gap right now. Yeah. And for your wild card slot? Um, whoever doesn't win the Central will get one of the wild cards, and I, I'd imagine the second wild card will also come out of the Central. So you'd probably see the Pirates... Some combination of the Cardinals, Reds, and Pirates all making the playoffs. Yep. Yep. Uh, Alan Smith, do we have you back? We do not. Okay. (laughs) Alan Smith is currently exploring uh, the back alleys uh, and lesser-known cultural hotspots of Trenton. Um, I have actually picked the Braves to collapse uh, and the Nats to overtake them. Um, and I say that because uh, I, I, there are so many strikeouts in the Braves lineup, um, the Upton brothers and Ugla. Uh, it's just, it's just such a staggering amount of punchouts, and I just am not convinced that the Nats pitching can continue to be so bad. Um, and I think while the Braves have been great, they have not really been able to establish themselves as a truly dominant force. Uh, it also seems like Kimbrel's a little more vulnerable this year, so I don't know. I, I think the Nats could make a late season run. I have the Cards in the Central, and I have the Diamondbacks in the West, and I have picked the Reds uh, over the Pirates. Um, All right. And I say that just because I think uh, I think the Pirates are the Pirates are a really fun story, but it seems like there are still just like a few too many question marks. Um, but on the other hand, I, I would much, my heart wants the Pirates to go. It does. And, and you know, what the Pirates have going for them is that they've already won 56 games. So yep, that's true. They can't, they can't unwin those games and it gives them a nice little cushion. 
it's hard for me to remember a a season in in recent memory where the top three teams in a division have been so dominant. No, I mean, I guess there were a couple of years where the Red Sox, Yankees, and Rays all sort of pulled this off, but these three teams are just so much better than all the rest. All right, let's uh, let's take a look at the awards categories for most valuable player, American League. Who are you going with? I think I got to go with Cabrera again. I know it's tough not to give it to 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 your star, Chris Davis, right there, but <laughs> you know he's he's hitting three sixty five at the break. He's hitting thirty home runs. He's driven in ninety five. I mean those. Those might not be the stats that we all love to look at, but those are the stats that win you another American League MVP. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, the thing is, like, if anything, he's, he's hitting better this year than yeah. he was last year. Uh, maybe the power numbers are, are down a little bit, but uh, he, he gets on base. It seems like it's automatic. You know, it's um, tough for me. I, also, I, I try to look at it to pick, like, would the team be in the same place without that player? And I think you can make a strong argument that, that both the Orioles without Davis and the Tigers without Cabrera are significantly worse teams. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, what about the National League? The National League is a much tougher... That was a funny sound. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really have a good finger on the pulse of the National League. You know, you, you, you would have said maybe a B.J. Upton player after April, but that was months ago. Right, um, and I right. think a lot of it will depend on which team ends up winning the Central. Mm. You, know, you, you might see... Pedro Alvarez gets some votes, although you know he, he strikes out a lot, but he hits a lot of home runs. Yeah. Um, you know, you might even see Paul Goldschmidt getting some votes. Yeah. Uh huh. It's 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 tough to say. It's it's there's no clear cut winner in my mind. I I myself wrestled with it, but I ended up coming down with Yadi Molina, um, just because I think he is probably. I think you could make a strong case that he's the most valuable player on the Cardinals. And if the yep. Cardinals win the division, then I think it's tough to give it to anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. A catcher hitting 350 with some power is hard to ignore. Yeah. All right. Cy Young. Cy Young in the American League. You know, I, I, <laughs> Scherzer has the wins. And if he gets to, you know, if, if he or more climb that 20 win mark and keep going, yep. it'll be tough to unseat them. You know, Cologne is an interesting case because he has such a low ERA, but he also has the taint of the steroids yep. sort of lingering in the background. And Felix always puts up such dominant numbers. Yeah. And, and I love watching what Kuroda's doing on a regular basis. Of course. <laughs> um, but again, you know, it, it might come down to who has, it might come down to just sort of who has the most counting stats by the end of the season. And one of those guys will come out ahead. Darvish, you know, has 157 strikeouts right now, but but I'd say Scherzer is probably the the lead. Scherzer, I think, is 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 a really strong candidate. And his the thing I like about Scherzer in my nerd brain is that in addition to having the wins, his peripherals are so strong. Oh yeah, 31 uh, walks. That's crazy. It's absurd. It's absurd. Um, the thing I wondered though is, do you think it will not? Because has Re- Rivera has never won the Cy Young? If I'm yeah, not you know, I was, I was I was toying with that idea, sort of the sentimental vote, and it could happen. I mean, I think I think he'll get some votes. And he'll probably finish high. I, I don't know if they're going to be willing to give him flat out the Cy Young Award. You know, the, the, the writers can be a little prickly about those things. Yeah. It is hard to overlook a 1.83 ERA from a guy who's 43, though. Yes, it is. It is. And it also does seem, you know, I mean, I was, I was a little bit irked at the idea of giving him the All-Star Game MVP uh, just for pitching one clean inning. At the same time, I also recognize that All-Star Game MVP means approximately nothing. Oh, sure. It's the, it's the season of recognizing him. So yeah. Yeah. maybe they do it. 
Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, it would actually make a lot more sense to give him a Cy Young Award sure. uh, as a Lifetime Achievement Award, That's especially fine. in a year where uh, there's maybe not anybody else who is a truly, truly uh, undeniable case. What yeah. about uh, what about the National League? The National League for NL Cy Young. You know, that's another one that's that's tough because Kershaw. I mean, if Kershaw ends the season with an ERA under two, yeah, it's going to be really hard to ignore that. Yeah, I think I think Kershaw is the only one with a really clear case. Um, I mean, you could you could probably make a case also to a lesser extent for Harvey. I think the only reason I'm not picking Harvey is because I think the Mets are going to keep a close eye on the number of innings he racks up as the season goes on. Yep, and, mm-hmm. and he'll probably he'll probably fall a little short in terms of the total you know his total strikeouts, his total innings pitched, his total wins, the stuff that voters latch onto. I don't think he's going to quite get there. And uh, so then would you go to Corbin, or are you more a no, Segura man? Yeah, I mean, the, the NL rookies are somewhat of a thin field. I mean, I'd, I'd maybe <laughs> even see what Puig ends up with at the end of the season. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's an open question to me, whether people uh, figure out a way to exploit his like wild swings and he yeah, ends he, up just... he does love to swing. Oh, he, he, <laughs> he has a zest for the swing. <laughs> um uh, I mean, you know, that's not to say that he's not going to develop into a very good player, but it does seem like it's possible that he'll go through a, you know, an eight-week period where uh, everybody knows that if you throw it low and away, he's just going to flail wildly at it. Oh, sure. You know, and, and I think, um, you know, Ho- Jose Hernandez has a very good case for Rookie of the Year, too. Who's, he's having a very good season for the Marlins right now. Yeah, really strong young pitching in yeah. the National League. Uh, what about in the American League? The American League, the American League does not have anybody really blowing me away it's it's kind of shocking when you actually try to sit down and plan a podcast segment about the yeah. <laughs> leading contenders for american it's league like rookie of the year no, no one yeah. no one yeah you know jose iglesias still qualifies but it's hard to see him winning rookie of the year and also continuing to hit with an ops that just far outpaces any minor league production yeah I um I, I my my initial thought was Josh Donaldson and then I looked and saw that Josh Donaldson played 75 games at the major league level last year. Yeah. Yeah, you know, maybe Chris Archer if he has a good second half, it's just tough to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting the way the narrative has now become look at all the good young established talent in the American League, uh, Machado and Trout. Mm-hmm. Um, and those guys are, you know, basically considered to be veterans at this point who are locks for Hall of Fame careers. Yeah, it's hard. To, <laughs> it's also hard to follow them if you're if you're an American League rookie. I mean, those two are just such great talents. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no one's really taking on that mantle this year. Now, what about Manager of the Year? I think even if the Yanks miss the playoffs, if they can continue to play above 500, you got to give it to Girardi. I mean, he's he's managing a team that is completely bereft of any sort of talent or depth right now and somehow there's still seven games over 500 and nominally in a playoff hunt without you know two well without at least one hall of famer another who should be a hall of famer their starting center fielder any sort of catching it's just it's what what he's been able to get out of this team deserves some recognition and i realize i'm saying that a bit as as a bit of a homer but (laughs) how else how else do you reward what he's doing oh no i mean he is uh he is this year's bob melvin and buck showalter uh there's i mean there's no real way around it um he is he's the one if you you know the manager of the year t- generally tends to go 
to the guy who seems to do everything out of nothing. Um, And, I mean, it's no question he's the guy that's doing that. Now, what about the National League? The National League, I think it'll probably depend on which which teams make the playoffs. I mean, I, I could definitely see Clint Hurdle getting it, although it's hard to say if the Pirates' success is due to him or due to the fact that Pedro Alvarez is having a great season and A.J. Burnett is somehow having a great season and Garrett Cole is emerging onto the scene. How, how, no, but, that, but if but if if they end up with a with a solid winning record in a playoff berth for the first time in two decades, it's going to be tough to see anybody else getting it. Oh yeah, well, and last year, you know, everybody was basically ready to crown Clint Hurdle in you know late May, early June. Yep. Uh, and then all of a sudden, people were wondering if his job was on the line. Yeah. Um, that's going to make you feel good, by the way, that AJ Burnett uh, is doing such a great job. Uh, you know, I, I felt bad for the guy by the time he left New York. He seemed <laughs> to really want to be good, and he just couldn't do it. Yep. Um, I went actually with Mike Matheny uh, of the Cardinals um, because he is somebody who I think last year came close and this year it seems like is pretty likely to make it to the playoffs despite having no managerial experience prior to taking over the reins of one of the most storied franchises in baseball. Um, But then, you know, I I can't get that that story from the offseason about him getting suckered into all those bad real estate deals out of my head. I can't decide yeah, that, that sticks with you, doesn't it? I can't decide if that makes it more of a heartwarming story or if it makes me feel like, well, you know, if I had Carlos Beltran and Yadi Molina and Adam Wainwright, I could probably do an okay job too. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's always that's always the balancing act between manager of the year, who's making more out of nothing, and who just has a good team in front of them. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, off the field decisions, let's talk about the best move of the 2012 offseason and the worst move. The worst move, you know, that's that's a tough one because there have been so many moves that have been bad. But I look at what Josh Hamilton is doing in Anaheim, and I look at how many years there are still left on his contract, and yep. I think that was probably the worst move. I am right there with you. That's exactly what I picked too. I think it's going to cost Jerry Depoto his job. It, it probably will. Although, you know, from on the flip side, I think it, it's gotten the Angels a lot of play on the national scene. It's gotten them a really lucrative TV deal. So. That's from true. a business perspective, they might be willing to make that trade-off, but from an on-field perspective, you're looking at an albatross of a contract already, and he still has four more years to go. Yeah, and when you combine it with the Pujols contract, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, you know, obviously we love to rag on the Yankees here, but the Yankees, at least for the most part, got a lot of value out of the contracts of that kind that they signed. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, if this is Pujols at 33, or however old he actually is. 33 in quotes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, nine years to go or whatever it is. Uh, what about the best move? The best move, you know, I, I think the Mariners are paying Raul Ibanez next to nothing and he's the <laughs> one guy which the Yankees had held on to. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, no other really spectacular moves come to mind, mm-hmm. but I'm sure I'm forgetting some. I think my, the, the one that I like, and this is my Homer pick is the Orioles letting Mark Reynolds walk. Uh, there were a lot of people um, in Birdland who felt like, yeah, you know, Mark Reynolds is inconsistent, but he's great to have out there on the field and he works so hard and all that stuff. And now in the clear light of a Chris Davis Hall of Fame caliber season, yeah, right. <laughs> we can see how much of a drag Reynolds was on the offense. And, you know, despite the fact that he was able to lay out and make some interesting picks at first base last year, he was an, a net liability. Oh, yeah. And there's, there's no doubt about that. He was a liability that was going to cost us, uh, I think, more than what we're paying Chris Davis this year for one season of another season of Mark Reynolds. I think so. 
Um, all right. Our, our second to last uh, question here is, what do you think is the most interesting storyline that never was? I think it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting because of how bad they've been, but I think it goes back to what Alan was talking about earlier. The Blue Jays are just awful, and they came into the season with such high expectations. They haven't matched it one bit. I mean, I guess they, they had that one, what was it, an eight or nine game winning streak. They reached 500. Everybody yep. thought maybe they were turning the corner, and then they've slipped again. And, and I think it's, it's a study in how you put a team together and how preseason expectations can be lofty and sometimes tough to, tough to meet. Yeah, well, and I think it's really interesting to look at them in comparison to the Dodgers, who are obviously supposed to be the other super team. Um, and I think it's it's a story that kind of teaches about the value of having a good manager. When you look at the Blue Jays situation, um, I mean, obviously this is completely anecdotal, but you look at John Gibbons in the dugout, um, and he just looks shell shocked. Uh, yeah, every he inning should, he of should every be game. there still. There's yeah. no doubt. And you, you have to figure that when you bring that many high-priced contracts, that many egos, and that much expectation somewhere, you need to have somebody in the driver's seat who is able of distracting people from all that, which is, I think, what Farrell has been able to do in Boston and what it's looking like Mattingly is starting to do in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and, okay, for our last question, uh, who plays a major league inning first, Alex Rodriguez or Dylan Bundy? I, I got to go with A-Rod because I think he will be back on Monday. Um, and I don't think Dylan Bundy's going to recover from Tommy John surgery quite that quickly. <laughs> as um, much as I would like but that I, to be it, the It's case. a good one because the suspension news is looming over A-Rod's head. It sounds as though any suspensions that are handed down, if they're upheld and if they're served, won't be served until next season at this point in the process. So I say A-Rod emerges from his rehab somewhat unscathed and will play for the Yankees on Monday. And and do you think he do you think he is a he's still a meaningful contributor? I think so. I mean, I think when you look at what he did last year before he got hit in the hand by that Felix Rodriguez piece, he wasn't what he used to be. He's not the fifty home run guy, and who knows if he ever legitimately was a fifty home run guy. Right. <laughs> but he can still hit. He can still field, and the Yanks have gotten just no production out of third base this year. So he doesn't need to be that good to be better than what they've gotten so far. Yeah. And you know, I was looking at his stats from last year and for, had forgotten that he, I think he stole 14 bases. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't expect that with the way his hip is feeling this year, but he'll hit the home runs. Yeah. He'll get on base. Yeah. And when you, and uh, you know, just uh, a little jab to leave you on when you look at what you guys have gotten out of third base so far this year, <laughs> I mean like the pitcher might've been doing better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben Kabak. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to join us this evening on Baltimore Ons. No problem. Everybody check out River Avenue Blues, Second Avenue Sagas. Blues and Sagas. I've always thought very, very weighted words in the titles of your... (laughs) Poetic. Yes, indeed. Uh, And we will be talking to you again soon. All right. Sounds good. This has been Baltimore Ons. Alan will be back next week. And we will have one of our more customary episodes baked up fresh for you in our audio oven. Until then, uh, please remember that the music on the show was provided by Marshall York on the Baltimore On's theme song, the band Weather Report with the song Birdland on the interstitial music. And you are hearing right now, at this very moment, the Black Crows with their song Kicking My Heart Around. We'll be back next week. And adieu.